0: Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP, helping you to run simple. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, this is where the best run, and I have to tell you, I'm so excited. This is the start of Season 9, our longest-running Game Changers radio series, and as the gentleman said, this is financial excellence with Game Changers, so welcome. Let me start off with the buzz quote. That's how I always start off. Why not at the beginning of the year? So here's a quote from Sandy Cockrell, global leader of the CFL program of Deloitte. Very interesting quote. There's no question over the last year This new wave of technologies has had an impact on CFO decision-making. CFOs are really working to get their arms around all of it. So we're talking about the Office of Finance, obviously. So let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the world. Integration, big data, in-memory technology, machine learning, artificial intelligence. You know these are just a few of the themes that have dominated the tech conversations for FP&A professionals in the 20-teens decade. Come on, you know that ended with 2019 a few weeks ago. We are live here. It's, my goodness, what's the date today? It is already January 28th. I can't believe it's moving that fast. So what's happening in the world? Well... We have geopolitical and economic unrest, uncertainties around the world. I don't have to tell you what the stock market's doing and what, what economies are doing. We have tech innovation and growth that are going to continue. We can safely predict that this will keep marching toward the future. So how should your fp a team prepare to navigate the path through what could be the next decade of big change? Now, whether you agree with me that we're already in the next decade, some people think the 2020 decade doesn't start till the first day of 2021. I'm on the team that says we already started on the January 1st, 2020, and I am maybe the only one who's calling it the new roaring 20s. No, I wasn't alive in the first ones, but I think that's what we're going to have. So to help clear your vision, and we're going to go through 2020 vision today, that's what we want, for a bright new finance future, we've invited three experts to share their insights. So let me introduce them just with their names and their companies, and then I will ask each of them to introduce themselves and tell us who they are, what they do, and what this topic means. Means to them. So, first up in a moment, we'll be hearing from Jeff Hattendorf from macrospect He's on many, many times on the show during the year. We're welcoming a newcomer today, Larissa Melnichuk. She is with the International FP&A Board. Welcome, Larissa. And joining us is another regular on the show, Prost Chatterjee at SAP. So, welcome to my panelists. Jeff Hattendorf, why don't you kick this off by introducing yourself and tell us what you do.
2: Good morning, Bonnie. Um- Hi, for those who don't know anything about me, I spend most of my day working with clients, companies of all sizes, companies you've heard of, like Estee Lauder or PepsiCo and some others, and hundreds of companies you've never heard of, to define what their integrated financial planning and analysis process should look like based upon the changing tools that we have today. And We've been doing this work. Uh, we've got a team of about 35 people based here in Dallas, all across North America and into Europe for almost 18 years now. And in those 18 years, this this show topic is very poignant because technology is changing very quickly just in the last couple of years, whereas the prior 15, there weren't a whole lot of major changes.
1: So you agree with the opening quote. Jeff, I'm going to ask you to do a, a special favor for me. Let's level set in case somebody's tuning in and they have no idea what FP&A is. Can you please define that for us?
2: Well, <clears throat> my simple version of that is that is the way companies – plan the business, where are we going to be this year, next year, five years down the road, and it's the analysis of that data and the actual results so that as you go back into the next planning cycle, you improve your planning going into the future.
1: So it's financial planning and analysis. Thank you very much. Jeff, do you agree with me? This is going to be the new Roaring 20s. I'm the only one I know who's said that, but what do you think? Am I on the right track as far as tech goes? Help me out here, Jeff Attendorf.
2: (laughs) Well, at least in the world of technology, as it yes. impacts fp and I, I think that's a pretty good metaphor for for where we're going to be. Because, as if we get into this, one of the things that I think will begin to change is we have a very heavy reliance in the office of the CFO in the accounting department on Excel.
1: Mm-hmm. But
2: as I find from people Still. outside of that group, mm-hmm. yeah, lots of Excel, but no one outside of that group actually likes Excel. And I have a friend who's <laughs> an MD; and she works for a big pharmacy company and. Her quote was, Excel sucks. Okay. And I got a little sick to my stomach. (laughs) That's that's what we've worked with for almost 20 years. And going back further than that, when Excel was first released back in the 80s. So for for, FDNA, it it will be like the Roaring Twenties.
1: We're going to quote Bob Dylan, the times they are a change. And thank you, Jeff, for the overview. Appreciate it. Let's go one stop around the table to Larissa Melnichuk. Larissa, welcome. You're a newcomer on this panel. We're so happy to have you. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody, tell us what you do, and what is the International FPNA Board? Go ahead, Larissa. Uh,
3: thank you so much, Bonnie. It's a pleasure to be at this radio show. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Uh, Larissa Melnichuk. Uh, CEO and founder of uh, FPNA Trends Group, an international FPNA board. I'm a former practitioner by myself, so um, I've been working for global organizations, and I was leading European and uh, global teams. So the passion to FPNA for, for FPNA it came from uh, all of those experiences. FPNA can be uh, both very powerful or it could be uh, really weak, depending on uh, where we are, what the culture is, what is the infrastructure. Uh, I started my own business uh, approximately six years ago, and uh, I traveled the world with my international FP&A board. Uh, at the moment, we are in 27 cities and 16 countries. Mm. And what I want to say is that this is the time, this is the era of FP&A, modern FP&A. A lot of passion, a lot of interest. So I'm glad, uh, I'm very happy to be here and to share experience
1: and to hear uh, the trends from my colleagues. Thank you. Thank you. Very much. Larissa, do you consider yourself more a woman in STEM, in tech, or in finance, or do you feel that your your career, and I'm, I'm a fan of yours, obviously. I'm, I'm a woman from in technology from when it was just becoming fashionable for women to get into the world of computers. I'm not going to tell you how long I've been around, but uh, do you consider yourself a woman of STEM or of just tech, or do you think that you're more in the finance world, or do you bridge all of those? Uh, probably the third one, you see, so
3: uh, my first background is uh, scientific, I have a master's science in physics of materials, mm-hmm. obviously I'm very much interested in modeling and uh, technological things, but in SPNA we really have to be uh, bridges between of all of those uh, latest trends that are happening, so I would say that the third.
1: Thank you very much, very, very happy to have you here Larissa, and where are you calling from by the way, where do we have you?
3: Uh, I'm, uh, at the moment, I'm in my home office in
1: a small uh, village in Berkshire, uh, in London, uh, just outside of London, in the UK. Thank you very much. We're happy to have you. Now, let's move one more stop around the table to Pras Chatterjee. Pras, welcome back. It, it's been, what, a couple of weeks since I've spoken to you, maybe less. Pras, tell everybody, in case, as, as Jeff said, in case anybody doesn't know who he is, well, Pras, in case anybody hasn't met you yet, why don't you tell us what you do at SAP and Just a quick overview of what your thoughts are on the topic, as Jeff did.
4: Sure. Thanks so much, Bonnie, for having me Mm -hmm. back on the show. Really excited about it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I'm uh, part of the product marketing team at SAP, focusing on our planning solutions. So, thinking about evangelizing our solutions, how they can help customers um, use SAP technology to be better FP&A professionals. Um, Funny enough, today is my 13-year and 7-day anniversary at SAP, so it's definitely been a long Ah. time Um, You know, as part of the planning and finance team at SAP. Uh, This topic is really near and dear to my heart because I do see the 20s to be a time for finance to roar and roar with a vengeance. Mm. Partly because um, as Jeff pointed out, this topic is called financial planning and analysis and I feel that for the last 20 years and even when I started my career about 20 years ago, I spent too much time planning upon planning, doing plans for the sake of planning, taking plans, uh, passing them on to other people who took those plans and who knows where they went and what decisions were meant off them, uh, made off of them. And as Jeff pointed out, it's called financial planning and analysis. And I think with all the technology available, with all the education av- available, and with the ability to break off a new mold and create a new mindset, it's time to add analysis to those plans to help companies drive better decisions.
1: Thank you, Pras. I, Pras, I love the enthusiasm, the energy in your voice. We love to have on this show, one of the hallmarks of financial excellence with Game Changers over the the past nine years has been that... All of you who come on the show are excited about your profession. You're excited about the possibilities and the opportunities and the forward momentum, and that's what I love about this show. So thank you, Pross. Welcome back. Now, to those of you who have never in nine years heard this show, here's what we do on Game Changers. I ask my guests to send me in advance a quote that has nothing to do with the topic from a movie, a book, a song, a famous or not-so-famous person, and then in their own words, I ask them now on air to to relate the quote to the topic. So we're going to start off with Jeff Hattendorf at Macrospect. And Jeff has sent us a quote from Leo Tolstoy. Our young listeners may not know who Tolstoy was. Count Lev Nikolaevich Tolstoy. 1828 to 1910, referred to in English just as Leo Tolstoy, was a Russian writer regarded as one of the greatest authors of all time. He received multiple nominations for the Nobel Prize in Literature from 1902 to 06 and nominations for the Nobel Peace Prize in 1901, 2, and 10. And it's a major Nobel controversy that he never won the prize. So here's the quote Jeff has selected from Leo Tolstoy. Everyone thinks of changing the world... But no one thinks of changing himself. And, Jeff, I'm going to, Jeff, I'm going to expand that to herself or themselves. So, Jeff, what does this mean to our topic today, please, in your own words?
2: Well, and I touched on this a moment ago. Mm-hmm. You know, the world of FP&A should be about analysis. And I would argue that for most of my work time in this space, going back almost 20 years now, it's been more about aggregation and the team that works for the CFO that, that that is the FP&A team really spends more of their time aggregating data rather than analyzing it. And that's a little bit of what Proz was touching on a moment ago. Mm-hmm. And so when we start to see these new technologies and tools, everyone gets really excited about how everyone else's job is going to change. What I think that they're missing is how is my job going to change? What skills do I mm-hmm. need to have to really be in an FP&A role as I think it was intended? And. Mm-hmm. If I'm doing more than putting spreadsheets together and linking them, what skills do I have to have to do analytics? And not just in the, the old school Excel or PowerPoint decks that people use a lot still today, but how do I use all of these different tools in the cloud, or even on premise in the tool in the software, to begin to tell a story about how the business works? How to make the the if you think about the data we have in this world, it is growing exponentially. We're we're now at a term called zettabytes. We'll have something mm-hmm. new we invent next year to to label it. There's so much data, it's overwhelming, and it's it's about changing to understanding data and telling a story rather than simply pulling data together and hoping the numbers mean something.
1: Thank you. And, Jeff, I, I think your prediction at the end of the show when we do the crystal ball round, I think you could predict that the next coming of Zeta Bytes would be hat bites, A-A-T-T, or macro... <laughs> Or macrospect bites? I'm just saying, Jeff, you're entitled to think that way. Thank you, Jeff. Great quote. I appreciate it. I knew I could make you smile. Larissa, we're up to you. And Larissa sent us a quote from Albert Einstein, very well-known quote. And he's a well-known guy. Einstein, 1879 to 1955, German-born theoretical physicist who developed the theory of relativity, one of the two pillars of modern physics alongside quantum mechanics. He's best known for his very famous, the world's most famous equation, E equals mc squared, and he did win a Nobel Prize, unlike Mr. Tolstoy, or Count Tolstoy, I should say. Albert Einstein received the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics for his services to theoretical physics, and especially for his discovery of the law of the photoelectric effect. So there, here's the quote. We cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Larissa, how did you find that quote? I love it. Talk to me.
3: Uh, thank you so much. First of all, I really uh, love the previous quote. And would you agree that it's so much connected with my quote, with this quote, uh, with, uh, with A-Stain quote? Uh, it's very much uh, uh, going a little bit deeper into the uh, nature of FPNA teams. So, very inspirational and very clever quote for FPNA. And what it means to me: it means that. Um, in our traditional FPNA and our traditional management accounting, we can't change anything unless we go outside uh, of our traditional mind frame, uh, we change our processes, we change the culture, we are ready for this analytical transformation. And mm-hmm. the reality is that uh, FpNA of the twenty first century it's everything about creativity and innovation, about thinking differently. And really, uh, the way how we can do this, this is to forget about our traditional processes, uh, our dysfunctional um, budgeting, political games, sometimes, uh, and, uh, you know, to start thinking differently for, uh, in analytical language, uh, in language of uh, fp storytelling, uh, in language of um, strategic and influential FPNA.
1: Thank you Thank very you. much. Larissa, I'm going to ask you a question. I haven't asked the others, but I will get around to that. In my opening, I mentioned integration, big data, in-memory technology, machine learning, AI. Is there any one of these technologies that zooms to the forefront of what fp is looking to use as we go into this new decade? Just quickly, what's your thought on that? Is there any one technology that is the major one that they need to pay attention to?
3: I would say that uh, FP&A of the 21st century, and in particular FP&A of the next decade, it's all about data. Unfortunately, in FPNA and a we are not yet uh, at this particular moment when we can uh, utilize big uh, data, both external and internal. So everything about the driver, driver planning, everything about uh, using the technology, for example, uh, machine learning, in order to identify key drivers that we can use for forecasting and planning, uh, using uh, flexible technology, new generation technology for collaborative planning, for um, expanding our horizons and also for integrating different uh, planning uh, processes in our organization, uh, in different organizations. So uh, there are a lot of technologies that are uh, very important for FDNA But in particular, uh, I would say... Um, This is business intelligence. This is using uh, machine Mm -hmm. learning, and the process already started. I already see case studies happening for forecasting and planning and for
1: identifying the key drivers, and, of course, collaborative systems. So those technologies are important. Thank you very much. Appreciate those insights. And Pras has sent us a quote from Michelangelo. Michelangelo, some people say Michelangelo. Michelangelo de Lodovico Buadarotti Simoni, 1475 to 1564 is when he lived, known best as simply Michelangelo. Italian sculptor, painter, architect, and poet of the High Renaissance, he exerted an unparalleled influence on the development of, modern, of Western art, considered by many the greatest artist of his lifetime, by some the greatest artist of all time. And he is contending, he's a contender for the title of the Archetypal Renaissance Man, along with one of his colleagues one of his rivals actually Leonardo da Vinci and here's the quote process selected from Michelangelo the greatest danger for most of us is not that our aim is too high and we miss it but that it is too low and we reach it Pross, this should be in every high school primer or primer or everything that every parent says to their children this should be that quote pros how did you find this beautiful quote and what does it mean for our topic today please
4: well, I mean, a direct, it actually has a quite a big impact on this topic directly and practically. And I think, I'm pretty sure Dref and Larissa uh, would agree with me that, you know, um, I worked in fp for a while myself for about 10 years. And there was always a concept in finance of sandbagging, of, you know, not trying to over-reach, uh, achieve numbers, managing numbers. And when you get into that game of managing expectations, you really don't help unleash the full potential of the, uh, the enterprise um, or, you know, really help it cultivate what's you know, could be a really intelligent enterprise. Organizations often, I see, and especially finance departments, and some finance departments, unfortunately, tend to be sheep. They follow directions, and instead of helping innovate, helping come up with creative solutions, helping come up with creative opportunities, directions that the organization can take, they help settle, you know, stay along the beaten and known path and really just manage, um, help manage the numbers and manage expectations so that it's not too great, not too small, So that, you know, Wall Street's happy, everybody's happy, and then people can go about their business. For me, it's really, I mean, this mindset needs to go, especially in the roaring 20s, as we're calling it, uh, because there's an opportunity to change things and not just manage the status quo, but um, help, you know, as Jeff has pointed out, as Larissa has pointed out, bring data into the fold. So work off of a greater set of data and bring greater and better insights into your information so the organizations can see, you know, based on geopolit- uh, you know, political turmoil or based on terrorists or based on new market trends and analysis, where the enterprise can go and basically have finance make better decisions to get there. It's even as simple as, Get off of Excel, for uh, goodness sake. I mean, when we consume data from our bank, if our bank were to send us CSV files, I mean, we would be livid with them. How dare finance take CSV files, convert them to Excel, and share that with them, their own business constituents. So it's really about, you know, aim higher than what, you know, and instead of just aiming low. I mean, take risks, you know, because it's a time to do so.
1: Thank you very much. I like the introduction of the word risk. And I'm going to go back to, well, to you and and to Jeff also. Jeff, you mentioned that so many FP&A professionals are still using Excel, and we won't make any comments about that. Is there a, a perceived risk of leaving the comfort of something they've always done, the wheel that's not squeaking yet, perhaps, and the sense of risk of going to these newer technologies? Jeff, quick comment from you.
2: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. There is a perceived risk of not knowing enough to do my job. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've fostered over the last 20 years this idea that Excel is sort of the common language of the business. Any country you operate in, and I've been fortunate to work in many with clients globally, Excel is, is everywhere in the Office of Finance. However, it is very limiting. And there was a, there was a time, <clears throat> I don't know, 19, 20 years ago, that Warren Buffett made a statement about corporate budgeting, which is under the team of FP&A, and described it as the biggest waste of corporate resources in, in the corporate world at that time. And mm-hmm. it's not because he doesn't believe in the forecasting process, but it's to what Praz touched on. Historically, we've, we've run the FP&A process in a way that we're trying to meet expectations rather than to decide or figure out what the business really can be and do. And so it begins to limit the upside, going back to, I think, the quote, that we're aiming too low, we're not aiming high enough. And for individuals within FP&A, Excel is, is I'll, I'll use an American term, it's my wooby. It's, it's my, my, my safety blanket. And I feel comfortable with it. And, and it's, it's scary to make change. And that's, not, that's just a bit about people. That's not specific to any type of person. Almost everyone is a little bit afraid of change.
1: I think we can all agree on that. And speaking of change, I'm going to ask a personal question of the three of you. We already have partial answer from Larissa. Jeff, uh, where are you calling from today? What part of the world? And it's still January, so I'm allowed to ask, what were you drinking on New Year's Eve to welcome the new year and the new decade? Jeff Hattendorf. Uh,
2: I am in lovely Dallas, Texas, where it is cold and misty and, and rainy and quite miserable for a Dallas winter day, which we don't have a lot of winter here. Um, New Year's Eve, I had a very nice uh, maker's mark with a couple of pieces of ice in it as I sat near the fireplace on a ski trip with my children.
1: Very nice. Very very nice still going on ski trips with your kids. That's a good thing. That's a good way to bring in the New Year. Thank you, Jeff. Let's turn to Larissa. You mentioned today you're somewhere near London, so we know where you are today, Larissa. Anything special in your glass, your flute, your cup, your mug, your stein, your your goblet on New Year's Eve that you'd like to tell us about?
3: Oh, yes, of course. So we celebrated New Year in south of France, uh, in the mountains, just outside of Nice. And of course, in France, it had to be rose champagne,
1: you know, very special one. I can't pronounce the name. So this is how it used to be. Very, very nice. And thank you. Uh, any particular brand of champagne? You're allowed to mention brands on the show if you want anything you'd recommend. Oh, uh, oh, uh, label. Uh, I must admit that don't remember the label. But you okay, know, I can I can do my but, research later. <laughs> but it was French, and that's what we need to know. Thank it you very change, much. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Poor pas. Pras Chatterjee, where are you today, and what was in your cup or whatever you were drinking out of on New Year's Eve, Pras?
4: So I am in Toronto, Canada, right now. And on New Year's Eve, I was with my family and some other families. We were in Northern Ontario, um, in a um, at a resort, um, enjoying the snow, the cold, uh, with family and such. And uh, we actually, for dinner, went to this uh, local uh, brew house. Um, Ontario is known for its craft brews. So went to a brew house where I enjoyed a fantastic uh, IPA. And uh, I regret not buying more. So I hope that next time I'm up in northern Ontario, which is about a three-hour drive from me, I will grab some more.
1: There you go. Road trip, road trip. we got to get you back there, Pros, before the end of the next decade, obviously. Uh, So I think what we're going to do is take a break now because I want to give my panelists a rest. If you're just tuning in, this is the start of Season 9 of our special series called Financial Excellence with Game Changers Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I have to do a shout-out to one of the people, actually two of the people, three of the people who are responsible for sponsoring this show at SAP, Chris Grundy, who is in the UK. Chris, I'm so happy to have you back renewing for 2020. And that is part of the title of this show, 2020 Vision. What will drive FP&A in 2020 and beyond? Also, a shout out to Birgit Starmans at SAP, who is another longtime sponsor of the series, and Diana Heim is also involved with sponsorship. So, thank you to the three of you for bringing the, this great panel and this great information to our audience. I'm speaking today with Jeff Hattendorf at Macrospec, Larissa Melnichuk at the International. FP&A board, and Pras Chatterjee at SAP. We're going to take a, I think it's a 90-second break, and all I'm going to say, I used to say, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, we'll be right back. But I listened to NPR radio recently, and there's a show called Snap Judgment, and a very eloquent man who runs it. I have to find out his name. And when he's ready to take a break, he simply says one word, and that's what I'm going to end with. Aaron, to my engineer, just before we go out, he says, stay. Okay, Aaron, we're
0: ready to go out. <laughs> Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica. Isn't it time for you to transform your finance organization? SAP is leading the way with groundbreaking technology to help finance professionals transform finance s4hana powered by sap is a part of sap s4hana the next generation business suite sap s4hana finance draws upon innovative in-memory mobile and cloud technologies to deliver one common secure view of all your information across finance this gives you instant insight to drive enterprise-wide strategic value learn more about sap s4hana finance at sap.com Welcome back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Comments, questions, you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers.
1: And we're back, and we're talking today to Jeff Hattendorf at MacroSpec. You all know him by now. Larissa Melnichuk at the International FP&A Board, newcomer and fabulous addition to this panel, and Pras Chatterjee at SAP is also many times regular on this series. And a shout-out again to Chris Grundy and Teams for sponsoring this. Today we're talking about FP&A, financial planning and analysis, what is happening with that team now and in the 2020 decade, and we're calling this the Roaring Twenties of of technology. I love that. So first up, Jeff Hattendorf. This is what Jeff told me before the show. I'll read a little bit that Jeff will comment, and then we'll invite Larissa and Pros to add their POV, their point of view, to what Jeff said, and then I'll have a statement from Larissa, and we'll have one from Pras, and we'll keep going around the table until a couple minutes before the end, and then we'll go into the crystal ball predictions lightning round. So Jeff told me the following. Data growth will continue to grow in the coming decade. We've gone from megabytes to gigabytes to terabytes to measure data in a corporation Globally, we now measure data in zettabytes. fp and teams will be required to invest in data science and related technologies. And that's our focus today to put this ocean of data to productive use. Jeff, let's start with you. Go ahead.
2: Well, and we, we've touched on this a little bit. And Larissa made a comment earlier about it's about the data, and it, it, I used the, the, the term ocean in that in that opening sentence or phrase with intent, because there is so much data from, coming from all kinds of places that I think most companies are still struggling to understand what to do with it. I, I work with companies today that, within the fp a team, we will talk about and look at new technologies and the way they can do things differently, and they're like, that's great. All we really want to do is pull the numbers together faster, the existing numbers. They're not really thinking about what the data can do for them, and I think it's a little bit of, there's, it's overwhelming. And it, mm-hmm. it, it comes back to, if you're going to sit in the office of FPNA and a and you want to lead the business, and I, I do believe that FPNA is uniquely positioned to be the thought leadership of the organization, you have to understand, how do I get big data into my business and use it to really improve how we tell the story of where we're going? And it, it requires a couple of things. I want to use things like machine learning and AI functionality to find anomalies in my data. As we move from, I'm just going to take last year's numbers and add 3% into a more consistent use of driver-based planning. I want to know what drivers really make an impact on my business. And there are all kinds of numbers out there that you can take a look at. We had a client, this has been eight years ago, in the pharmaceutical space, and they had a a database that gave them all the prescriptions that had been written in their space so they knew their market share. What they weren't tying to that data that they could today was they're just their own internal market spend on advertising and messaging to doctors to see if that helped them increase market share. It's it's using AI and and other kinds of data to begin Mm -hmm. to plan differently and better and really begin to tell stories about the business.
1: Interesting. We never think of finance in terms of storytelling. I think Larissa mentioned that also. But I have a quick question for you, Jeff, before I move around the table to see what Larissa and Prost think. You mentioned invest in data science. Are we talking about... Uh, we used to do a show on Game Changers called Predictive Machine Learning uh, with Game Changers, and we talked about citizen data scientists. Are we talking about empowering people in FP&A, people in the the team, the finance team, the office of the CFO to become data scientists? Are we talking about bringing in outsiders who are skilled in this or bringing in the technologies that will allow everybody to be a data scientist? Just if you could clarify for me.
2: Well, so it's a combination. I, I do think there's a need for someone to be in a data scientist role within the organization. But truth be told, the, the, the major shift in technology, that data science has been available for, for decades. But what the new platforms do is they, they take the heavy lifting and the deep technical understanding out. It, it helps to understand those pieces. But the machines can do a lot of that work for you. So it's more of an every person has the ability to begin to use that in some way, shape, or
1: form. Thank you very much. Larissa Melnichuk, join us. Thoughts on what Jeff just shared? What do you think about the investment in data science and all of the new technologies? Larissa?
3: Uh, Jeff, first of all, thank you so much for raising this question. What I would like to say that uh, it's already happening, maybe not as quickly as we would like to, but definitely FP&A departments and finance departments already started to work with data scientists. And the biggest uh, issue at the moment, the biggest problem is um, uh, they still, uh, finance people and data scientists, they still uh, don't speak the same language. Mm. So uh, I really like the role of FPNA data scientists. And this is not going to be classical data scientists, you know, very much into the data science and not understanding what is happening outside of the world. But this is the translator, interpreter, the person who understands both worlds and who can create those bridges. And the interesting thing, that the process already has started. I know quite a few CFOs with engineering background, some of them uh, even spending their weekends studying for data science um, a degree in their mid forties, you see, in order to uh, drive their company's data projects uh, ahead. And uh, what I want to say that definitely 21st century, it's all about using data and how to find this 20% of drivers that can explain 80% of the results. So if we can solve this mystery, definitely the decision-making process will be quick,
1: flexible, and dynamic. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Great comments. Pras, what do you think? Join us.
4: <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, thanks,
4: uh, Bonnie. So um, I'd like to expand on what Larissa said because she did talk about you know, certain CFOs, um, you know, taking courses in data science and, uh, you know, a, maybe a finance data scientist role that helps explain data science. And instead of, I think, I guess, uh, claiming this, uh, you know, to me, this also highlights part of the problem uh, because, unfortunately, I guess what Larissa has highlighted is the root of the fact that a lot of finance professionals, and, and you know, uh, just part of this call today, this discussion, I was looking at the curriculum of many different accounting designations across Uh, the world, many different uh, MBAs, and it's all still the same old stuff, basic intro to financial accounting, basics of financial reporting, more financial reporting, auditing, taxation, and yet we're asking these people to help predict results and do better data analysis. Where is you know, intro to stats one, intro to stats two, regression analysis, so that finance people can take all that, hey, I can interpret a balance sheet knowledge and turn it into, now that I have that knowledge of a balance sheet and income statement, into what might affect it based on all this data that resides within the enterprise. So I I think it's a great idea that the technology makes them more flexible to analyze data, Mm -hmm. but the fact is that in today's day and age, there's so many companies that are on social media. Uh, I mean, a single misstep can have you uh, have Also, sentiment analysis. Are there finance departments that are equipped with analyzing sentiment analysis to see what the impact of that is on their brands? Probably not because the background isn't there yet in their core education. And I hope that that core education is changing versus what Larissa mentioned where people have to educate themselves at a later stage. So um, I think what Larissa stated is a great first step. But I hope that that first step isn't the end of it. I hope that that first step translates into, at some point, people evolve and the curriculum evolves as well.
1: Thank you very much. Great conversation around the table. Jeff, quickly, you have anything to add for what the comments were from, from Larissa and Pras?
2: Well, <clears throat> I agree with what Pras was saying about education needs to change. And as my daughter goes into university next year, I'm encouraging her to go into an IT course as opposed to a business course at the start mm. for that reason. But the thing that I would challenge just a little bit is, mm-hmm. if I heard Larissa correctly, it's it's about finding the 80% that helps us solve the 20% or the 20%, and, and, and I think I agree with her, where I think data science, and I don't mean to make it scary or, or nebulous with that term, but the ability to use these tools to tell the stories about the last 20%, I think most companies are really good at figuring out the first 80%. It's the last 20% that's going to make them globally competitive and really begin to look up as opposed to aim up as opposed to aim down, going back to one of the quotes earlier. It's a change in thought process.
1: I think that's where it all has to start, right? And that's what we're we're trying to talk about here, and that's what the genesis of our conversation today. Thank you very much, Jeff. Larissa, I'm looking at your notes here, and I'm going to put a couple together and make a, a short paragraph out of them, and then ask you to comment because I love what you sent me. Here's what Larissa said. She said many people ask her the question, "What's going to happen to finance and FP&A in the next ten years?" And she says she smiles because there was a saying that has been quoted by many people in the last decade. Quote. The accounting profession is going to die by 2020, and Larissa says it's still here, and it may be here in 2030, transformed but alive. And then Larissa says it will be a multidisciplinary FP&A, and an important multi- multidisciplinary role on the fp a radar is one of the fp a architect. Larissa, let's talk about that statement about the architect. I don't think we've ever used that term here on financial excellence. So why don't you help define it for us, explore it, and then we'll ask Pros and Jeff to chime in. So Larissa, it's all yours. Go ahead. Uh,
3: thank you so much. Thank you for quoting uh, and um I would start uh, from the uh, fact that uh, FPNA of the next decade uh, it will be about multidisciplinary FPNA, as already mentioned. So, uh, FPNA architect it's one of those roles. There are actually uh, a number of those key roles, but FPNA architect it's one of those. It's already started. Um, probably people don't call themselves FPNA architect, but let me uh, explain a little bit deeper what it means. So it's not classical uh, modeling in Excel, you know, just modeling in Excel and then uh, transforming this or not transforming to the system. So those people, there are bridges between uh, data science, between IT and finance. Those people uh, uh, will build those driver-based models for you. But it goes even deeper, so they will uh, understand the architecture of the system that I need it. So it all will start from data, from identification identification of key drivers, um, feeding this uh, to the driver-based model, uh, implementing this through the system, uh, maintaining uh, the scenario planning, and helping with decision-making. So generally speaking, this is what it is. So it's much bigger than just business modeler.
1: Thank you very much. Very interesting perspective there. Pras, join us. Thoughts on what Larissa just shared? New concept.
4: Um, so I I agree. Like, I mean, finance has to become multidisciplinary for sure. I mean, people call it uh, beyond FP&A, certain analysts are now calling it this profession XP&A because, you know, the X is a variable in terms of where you can bring the information from, whether it's marketing, finance, IT, to bring in better Data sets and information to create better budgets and guidance, and it's not forget the budgets, about finance being able to take this information and provide better direction. The way I see it, finance not only has to take have a better technical skills with IT, with also the multidisciplinary approach, but maybe it's leadership as well. That the, the new uh, profile of the FP&A or the planning and analysis individual or leader is a true leader, someone who can you know be a steward in the organization instead of say, standing on a boat and giving. Uh, you know, stating the obvious that, hey, last month we did X, Y, and Z, standing at the front of both and saying, hey, there's a glaciers here, there's icebergs there, there's rough waters. And based on everything I see, the forecast, this is the route we have to take so that we can better serve our customers and better beat the competition.
1: Thank you very much. Jeff Hattendorf, thoughts?
4: Well, I,
2: I, some of this is, is still, to me, a little bit... Uh, Futuristic this is where we're going to be. The tools can do these things today. Um, the reality is, is people are slow to change, even when though the technology changes very quickly. Uh, what I really liked about what Larissa said is about being the FPNA architect, because what that to me, what that really means is, how do you continue to add value to the organization in a world, whether it's two years or ten years down the road, where on someone's desktop in the office of the CFO. There's a Siri, an Alexa, Leonardo, some kind of device that you can say, hey, um, what was the number one driver of sales in Q2? And I don't have to go ask a team of people to go figure that out. The, the computer will analyze that data and tell me. So the computers are really good with crunching the numbers and finding the trends in the data. The fp architect has got to be the person or the team of people within the organization that puts all of that together, knows what data to bring into the system, and then when the computers have done all the number crunching and helped identify anomalies and key drivers, begin to tell the story and paint the picture that makes those things meaningful so the business makes good decisions.
1: Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. Larissa, let me go back to you. Anything you'd like to add? Good conversation.
3: It's a very good conversation. Thank you for sharing your thinking, uh, Jeff and Ross. Uh, what I would like to say that uh, FPNA architect, uh, this is the person who will implement this idea of using big data for FPNA. He is not alone. Uh, there will be others. Uh, there will be uh, FPNA uh, data scientists and there will be FPNA storyteller, and there will be uh, FPNA influencer, uh, and so on so far. Maybe all of those roles will be uh, combined in those people. Maybe you will have different people in your teams, but definitely. Uh, FP&A is not just um, uh, the average accountant doing general ledger and consolidating the data. Definitely, there will be a lot of changes.
1: Thank you for sharing Thank- this. Thank you for sharing oh, your idea. Good, com- good conversation. I have a quick comment to Jeff. You were talking about being able to predict sales. I just heard the horrifying news that the beauty industry... Uh, just declared that women are not buying as much mascara as they used to and there's a serious decline in <laughs> mascara sales. So I'm wondering who- who, who who, knows about that? It must be very important because it made the news on one of the stations I listened to the other day. Any quick comments about what they had to do to be able to isolate mascara sales from everything else, including moisturizers and base makeup and eyeshadow and lipstick and whatever? I thought mascara was a hot item. Jeff, I, I, I'd love a quick comment from you, and I'm, I'm half joking and half serious. What do you think?
2: Well, having worked with companies like that, I am 90% certain that they had a team of people looking at the numbers and they missed somewhere. And three or four folks spent the better part of a week going back and looking at the data in detail and and, and doing trending. If those companies had put in place an analytics solution that is working on in-memory technology, the AI functionality would have probably found that in a few minutes and been able to visualize that. So now I can go figure out How do we tell the story? What's what's driving that downward trend? And oh, by the way, is there enough marketing to get guys to wear mascara? Because maybe we can get a we can un, get the huge untapped market of half the population.
1: <laughs> I'm I'm pretty sure that the gentlemen who were performing at the Grammys were probably wearing a lot of a lot of mascara because you you need to be seen on that stage in those very bright lights. Thank you very much. You know what they should have said, Jeff, is that there's a health reason for changing your mascara. You're supposed to throw it out every three months, whether you've used it up or not, because of bacteria and germs that fester inside of the the tube because it's. More in there so anyway just just a comment they need to they need to add the health benefit of throwing out the old mascara and and i'm i'm guilty of not throwing it out because i don't use it that much okay drummers actually drummers need mascara thank you we're going to go around the table one more time and press i have an interesting comment here from you let me read it and then you can bring us up you say for finance to make its mark and expand beyond what is today, there needs to be trust on both sides. Machine learning can evolve to assist finance with things like anomaly detection, better variance analysis. What is needed is trust. How can finance trust the machines? And finally, will the consumers of information trust that finance has placed the trust in a worthy place with the right amount of accountability Uh, As they say on the news, Pross, would you please unpack that for me? It sounds very, very important. What are you trying to say?
4: Yeah, so um, this actually, um, the reason I put down that statement was uh, last uh, year, Larissa, uh, I actually had the pleasure of attending one of Larissa's board meetings where a bunch of CFOs and VPs of finance got together, and someone brought up a point about, hey, I keep hearing about AI and machine learning. How do you expect me as a VP of finance to trust a machine to give me guidance. Like, how do I know they're doing the right thing? And it, it, and it really got me thinking about how a lot of these CFOs and VPs of finance, I mean, they're taking this accumulation of data that they know that this workforce, is, this FP&A team is, um, you know, working at night and day and uh, aggregating together into a nice binder and nice report that they're presenting to the CEO and, and to the rest of the board and, you know, doing guidance based on this. And how do you expect that CFO to trust that maybe – of that analysis is now being done by machines. Um, And part of that, I think, is, again, going back to what I talked about earlier, education. Education in the sense that if they're able to explain, hey, what are some of the algorithms uh, that have run in the background to interpret that data and come to some of these conclusions and conclusions that finance has vetted and say, hey, that's a great analysis that we can now expand upon. Machine learning isn't the end-all of analysis. To me, it's the entry point upon which finance can do even more and greater analysis instead of the planning. And the trust comes from the fact that if you learn to trust these systems and use these systems as a starting point to make better decisions and judgments and then take these and use the leadership skills they have to gain trust across the enterprise, eventually trust will exist everywhere.
1: Very interesting. I'm going to go around the table and get comments first from Jeff Hattendorf. Jeff, please join us.
2: Well, uh, Fraz touched on it, and it's about education. If you want to have trust, I think there has to be this idea of an FPA architect. I really like that, that that Larissa brought that up. And to me, the idea there is the role of that architect, or even an outside person, is to help the the CFO, the VP of Finance, understand that movies are not reality. How from Space Odyssey 2000 is not going to take over your ship. The Terminator Mm. computer is not going to take over all the systems in the world in sync. But what these systems can do really well is find patterns in data that human minds cannot see, at least not without tremendous amounts of time and effort, and give you better ability to predict the last 20% of your numbers with more accuracy and more reliability. And so that, that VP of finance's job is not about trying to figure out what numbers help us plan better, but once I have those numbers, what things drive those numbers and what's the story behind that.
1: Very interesting. Thank you. Larissa, join us please. What do you think? Important topic.
3: A very important and very interesting topic. And actually we are so curious about this that we even created Artificial Intelligence Machine Learning Committee from those FPNA board members that already started to use it. And definitely what we discovered. Pras, uh, thank you so much for sharing some of those thinking. This is the typical thinking of typical CFO who already started to use uh, machine learning for forecasting. Absolutely, how we can trust something which is uh, a black box for us. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Jeff, uh, for going down and explaining that, in reality, the next step is for us to understand what are the key drivers. I would say that... uh, Quite a few companies already. I would say maybe 15% of companies, uh, big organizations at the marketplace, already started at least experiment with machine learning for forecasting. But not so many organizations went uh, down and started to think about data and key drivers. So something that can help us to translate um, this machine forecasting to something actionable, to help us to play scenarios, to help us uh, to make decisions. So this is the next step, how to identify key drivers uh, with
1: help of machine learning and to use this for scenario planning, for decision-making. Thank you. Thank you. You're, very, you're one of the politest guests I've ever had on this show. Thank you, Larissa. <laughs> I appreciate it. Now, it's time for our crystal ball predictions round, and I'm going to give each of you 60 seconds. So the topic today is 2020 vision, and Jeff and Pras have probably heard me say many times, I can't get that earworm out of my head, Barbara Walter saying, 2020, well, here we are. <laughs> and whether she was talking about vision or her TV show, here we are. So 2020 vision, what will drive fp a in 2020 that's right now and beyond. Jeff Hattendorf, I'm giving you 60 seconds. Predict something, and even you can say after Zettabytes, they're going to be Hattendorf bites. Whatever <laughs> you want, it's. Oh, I had to make you smile. 60 seconds, crystal ball time, go.
2: Hey, I am totally fine with the world naming something Hat bites because we all have a finite period of time, and perhaps I'll be remembered for some period of time after that. In, in the coming year, this year specifically, in the next couple of years, what really has to begin to happen is every, every organization that wants to be better and positioned in five years to use these tools, if not sooner, there has to be education within the business that is about understanding what the tools can and cannot do. Uh, we worked with a, one of the big railroads here in, the, in North America um, 10 years ago, and they have been using, or maybe it's six years ago, anyway, they, they've been using statistical analysis and modeling for a very long time to predict and forecast what their numbers should be. And we've worked with many other companies, CPG and the like, that do the same. The challenge is people don't like being told what to do or what their target is by a computer. It really has to start with education so that when you do invest in these technologies, they're put to good use and not left on the shelf.
1: Thank you very much. Love the prediction. Larissa Melnichuk. please, 60 seconds. What's on your mind for the future?
3: Uh, I would like uh, to draw attention to the important tool for uh, decision-making, and not only in FP&A, but but for the whole company, scenario planning. Uh, I call this FP&A scenario planning. And this is not the scenario planning, uh, the traditional one, when we have three scenarios and we really spend a lot of time to develop them during budgeting process. I'm talking about decision-making machine, which is based on key drivers, on flexible system, key drivers that cascaded from top down and bottom up, uh, key drivers that can uh, talk to each other and actually scenario planning which is uh, run in real time uh, practically uh, at different levels of the organization and uh, not only at different levels of organizations but uh, actually they can go top down and bottom up, They they could be integrated consolidated and we have the whole picture of the organization but the most important thing Uh, Those key drivers are coming from our uh, live data. And we are having an opportunity, we are able to identify those 20% of drivers that can explain 80% of results. So everything will be around this. There are different journeys, different ways how to do this. I would like to stress that it's not only technology, but uh, human intelligence
1: and uh, STMA storytelling and business partners. Thank you. Thank you, Larissa. Pros Chatterjee, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. Go.
4: So tying up everything that Larissa and Jeff mentioned, I think what's going to happen over the next few years, uh, by the end of the decade, it's going to be cool, fun, and hip to be back in FP&A, as is someone young starting your career because there's no longer going to be a profession where you're printing reports, you're doing analysis in Excel, creating PowerPoints doing things just for the sake of doing it. Rather, it's going to be a field where you're able to work with data scientists, you're able to work with uh, finance data architects, bring in information together and make recommendations, be strategic. You're going to use that MBA that you have, that you know, Bachelor of Business Administration, that Commerce degree, that CPA or whatever, and you're going to be someone who drives decision-making versus giving papers that let someone else make decisions and because you have all these powerful tools behind you. So again, it's going to be a really cool and sexy field that everyone wants to come back into.
1: Thank you very much. Pross, you have to do something about that excitement in your voice when you talk about finance. I don't know what we're going to do about you. Thank you to the three of you. Jeff Hattendorf, I know you have some sinus issues today and you're struggling with allergies. You sounded fantastic as always. Jeff Hattendorf at Macrospec. Larissa Melnichuk at the International FP&A Board. Pras Chatterjee at SAP. Thank you to Aaron, my engineer extraordinaire at the Business Channel team at Voice America World Talk Radio. The man with nerves of steel on the audio board. And a shout out again to Chris Grundy, Birgit Starman's, Diana Helm for sponsoring the show. And Prass, you were instrumental in putting this topic together to debut our ninth season, and it was great. So here's my call to action. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here are what I have to say. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Jeff Hattendorf, just like Larissa Melnichuk, and just like Prass Chatterjee. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again
0: for tuning in to Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.